Hello and welcome to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Baum. I'm here to share techniques and tools to help you engage with your audience and bring art, objects and ideas to life. So let's dive into this week's show. Hello and welcome back to the Art Engager podcast. I'm your host, Claire Bowne of Thinking Museum, and this is episode 19. So in today's show, I'm sharing some thoughts about how you can successfully lead discussion-based programs around art. So I'll be talking briefly about the difference between conversations, discussions and dialogue before I move into some tips for success. I'll be sharing 11 tips uh, on how to successfully create discussions around art and objects. Also, at the end of this episode, I'll be sharing some details about my free challenge next week. So it starts 13th of September, that's 2021, if you're listening in the future. It's called The Art of Engagement and it will help you to design and lead engaging discussions around art and objects. So stay tuned for that. Now, don't forget, last week in episode 18, yeah, 18 it was, we covered six different common fears that I've heard some people say they've had around leading art discussions. And I shared some tips on what you can do to overcome those. So do go back and listen to episode 18 if you haven't already. And before we start, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so now by buying me a cup of tea on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Claire Bowne and I'll put a link in the show notes and the show notes they're available on my website thinkingmuseum.com forward slash podcast and this is episode 19. So now let's get started with today's show. So let's talk first about conversation, discussion and dialogue. What are they? So in museum education We use these three terms basically to describe different types of talking that happens in museums. These are all different modes for engaging with groups. And they all describe this participatory approach, this interactive approach that is fairly commonplace or perhaps should be commonplace when working with groups in the museum or heritage or cultural sector these days with art and objects. But as we discovered last week, there are many fears around starting to lead or leading discussion-based programs. So today I'm going to share some success factors so that you can create and lead great conversational discussion or dialogue-based programs. But first, let's look at these three terms. So conversation. So conversation is perhaps the most loosely structured of the three different types, and it normally occurs in small groups when visitors come together in twos and threes. You'll see it if you observe people in the museum. They stop, they pause to point something out, they share ideas or memories or thoughts. And you'll see this quite often with couples and family groups regularly. Now, if you are working with small groups or perhaps you lead private tours for small groups, you're also likely to be having these conversations with your groups. So that can mean sort of friendly exchanges, asking questions, making casual remarks, 
and maybe sharing some insights as well. And with gallery teaching, these conversational exchanges are usually quite free and improvised. So the guide or educator may contribute or share some information and they may offer their own opinion or thoughts as well. So let's move on to discussion. So discussion is more purposeful than conversation and it can be focused on a question or an object or it could be a debate or some perhaps strongly held opinions. And discussions promote critical and creative thinking and also problem solving skills. Discussions are carefully planned and designed and quite often they use a flexible list of uh, questions that could be pre-prepared. And the educator or guide's role is to guide the process towards a reliable conclusion. Now, the third type, dialogue. Dialogue shares this middle ground between discussion and conversation. And dialogues are quite open and improvised, like conversations, but like discussions, they have a stronger sense of purpose and they're more focused. The educator or guide sort of guides and shapes conversation, not towards their own goals, as they might in a discussion, but to explore the object together. So dialogue is probably closest to shared inquiry, a way of seeing and thinking together, guided by a spirit of curiosity, discovery, and perhaps wonder as well. And collaborative ideas, innovative ideas from the group are encouraged, and dialogue is based on the participants, not on the teacher or the educator. There are also two types of dialogue. Um, we won't go into that here in this episode, but you can have an open dialogue, which has a very free-flowing format, usually lots of different lines of inquiry, or a thematic dialogue, which is normally framed by a specific theme. And if you want to find out more about all these different types of talking, all these different types of conversation in the museum, then I really recommend uh, Rika Burnham and Elliot Kaiki's book, um, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, and it talks about all these different types. Now, it's also worth noting here that all educators embrace a variety of different methods and approaches to teaching, and they may use all of these types in a single programme. And also something else to note is even though quite often I probably more strongly identify with the dialogue type, um, I use all these terms simultaneously. And I use them all when I'm talking about talking about art. Um, and I think what type you'll choose will depend on the group you're working with and the circumstances and perhaps the objects that you're working with as well. So... Now that we've sort of talked about the different types of talking, uh, what are these success factors? How can we make our discussions, our conversations or our dialogues successful? Well, I've got seven tips here and by following these, it will hopefully help you to create and lead successful discussions around art and objects. So let's get going. So the first success factor is planning and preparation. And these are so important when it comes to designing and leading these type of programs. And although you can't plan for everything, you can't plan for all eventualities, having clear goals 
and a structured design will really stand you in good stead. So in planning your programs, you should have clear teaching goals and have a structure, whether it's a thematic or an open discussion. I think if you're doing a more open discussion, then the structure and goals will perhaps be a bit freer and more open. But you also need to make sure that in your plan and in your preparation, you're planning for participation and you're also planning for variety. So ask yourself some of these questions and perhaps you want to note some of these down. So think about what the purpose of your dialogue or discussion is. Does it relate to a particular theme or perhaps a curriculum? Does it relate to the target group, the type of group you're working with, with their reality? Is this theme relevant? Who thinks it's relevant? Does the group you're working with, maybe the curators, the educators, or you? And how will you create and motivate people to participate and ensure that you get everyone involved? Does your design have a good structure? But is there room there for flexibility and variation? Now make sure there's a balance in your design for your program between your input and the group's participation. So you need to be able to create space for the group to share their experiences of an artwork or object too. Now, thinking about the artwork or object, what is the role of the artwork? Is it there to inspire, to challenge, to inform? And what thinking routines are you perhaps choosing for your, your approach? Are you investigating more formal features like colour, shape or line or technique? Or are you looking at the historical context? Don't try to cover everything and be conscious of your approach at the start. So also think about what exercises you can include to boost the learning experience and think about an introduction and a conclusion. Always have both of these and a conclusion with space for reflection is always a good move. So moving on to success factor number two, build rapport and create great group dynamics. So even before the last 18 months of the pandemic, building relationships, was a really important factor in your programs, but it's even more important now. So you really need to make people feel comfortable as though they are among friends and that they can trust the people around them. And I think that when people feel socially comfortable, they're more likely to ask questions and participate in your conversation, your dialogue or your discussion. Now, it's not difficult to create this great kind of environment, but it does require effort and it's a conscious effort on your part as the facilitator. You create the conditions for this to happen. And if you want to dive deeper into group dynamics, then really um, have a good listen to episode nine, which is all about creating a great group dynamic in the new now. So success factor number three, setting expectations at the start. So when I put this one in, I thought, well, I always seem to be talking about setting expectations, but you'd be surprised as to how many people think they're doing this 
at the start of a programme, but they're actually not. So you need to be explicit and tell your participants what to expect during their time with you. Yes, you want to create a welcoming and friendly atmosphere, one that encourages participation and involvement. Yes, you want to make sure all participants feel they are valued and that their contributions are valued. But you also need to tell everyone that this will be a programme based on talking and that the more they put into the discussion, the more they'll get out of it. You can also explain your role as a facilitator too. So let's move on to success factor number four, asking good questions. Now I've said it before and I'll say it again, the questions you ask and the way you ask them are key to the success of your program and how involved your participants will get. So work on your questioning skills regularly, try new questions, experiment with questions and see what works well. And be a student of questioning and read as much as you can around the subject or take a course or a class on questioning. Don't leave the questioning part to chance. There is so much skill involved in asking the questions in the right way at the right time. Number five having a structure. So this goes back to the planning and prep that I talked about at the start in point number one. But each discussion that you have in your program as a whole needs to have a structure as well. Everyone. So your program as a whole has a structure, but so does each discussion in it. And how does structured your discussion will be will depend on the type of talking you're doing, whether it's a conversation, a dialogue or a discussion. And it'll also depend on the type of program you're doing and the group you're with. But you need to have a noticeable beginning, middle and conclusion to every discussion, or it can appear just a little aimless or a bit vague. So following a simple structure for your discussion based on observation, description, interpretation, wondering, conclusion, using a combination of thinking routines, if you like, will also give you the headspace and will allow you to be more creative with your groups and will give you more energy to focus on what they're saying too. So moving on to number six, success factor number six is being a good facilitator. So as you know, facilitation is a key part of the visible thinking in the museum method, and it's a key part of the success of a discussion-based program. But developing the skills of a good facilitator is quite the art form. It requires practice and patience. So you're managing the discussion, you make sure everyone stays on track and on time, you get people involved, you encourage quieter group members, you also set the conditions for learning to take place, you decide how much information you're going to share, if any, and so much more. There are so many roles that you will play as the facilitator of the discussion. And that brings me nicely onto number seven, which is active listening. So this is an essential facilitation skill, but it's worth mentioning separately here, as listening is really a key factor in whether your discussion will be successful or not. 
So active listening involves listening with all the senses and it involves really focusing on what the person is saying and the words they are using. You need to pay attention to the tone and any emotions that are coming across. You can also look at their body language, make appropriate eye contact with them and give some encouragement too. But don't forget as well that you are also the role model for how well others listen and talk to each other. So really ensure that you listen to what people are saying and genuinely work through the replies and the responses of the group. And don't forget that all responses are valid. So be attentive and listen to what people are contributing. Ask for clarification where necessary. Use uptake and appreciation too. And show that you appreciate someone's contribution. So moving on to the next one. The next success factor is knowing when and how to add information. So when you share information with a group during a discussion, it's all about inserting small chunks of information at the right time, if any. Now, the information you share should further the discussion. If you go into lecture mode or start monologuing, you're only going to shut down the conversation. So show restraint. Don't offer all the information you have. It's not about sharing everything you know. It's about selectively choosing the right information to convey at the right time. So number nine is all about allowing sufficient time. So discussions don't go well if they feel rushed or if the facilitator looks like they're playing catch up and is looking at their watch the whole time. So when you do your planning and your prep, you need to be aware that discussions take more time and less is more. So plan to do less in the time you have. Now, you don't have a crystal ball that will tell you how the discussion is going to go. It may go very quickly. It could take some time to get going. You may have a talkative group or you may have a group that's a bit quieter. So do your planning. Don't be too ambitious. And when you're actually there with the group, be aware of the time. Allow 10 minutes as a minimum for any discussion. Um, Anything shorter is going to feel too short to get going. And if you're doing a guided tour where you're you're visiting lots of objects or artworks, consider visiting less. So I remember when I designed Stories Around the World 10 years ago, I had six possible objects planned for the 90-minute program and four for the 60-minute one. And in reality, because of the richness of the discussions, we normally only visited, I think, three objects in the 60 minutes and four in the 90 minutes program. So number 10 is choosing the right environment. So space is so important in program design and also for your discussion to go well too. Now, I think we've been quite lucky recently in online discussions that we have a bit more say over the space we've been using. But in the museum itself, it can be tricky sometimes. 
So choose artworks or objects that have space around them, space for a group to gather, and space for a group to linger for longer than a few minutes. Now, you don't want to be blocking the corridor and you don't want to be uh, being in the way of other visitors either. Likewise, you also want to be able to hear what everyone is saying and for them to be able to hear you too. So try and choose a space that has good acoustics. Now, I know from experience that this is not always possible, but think about where your object is. It may be the most wonderful object or artwork in the world, but if it's next to an interactive display, the discussion is not going to go that well. Now, I remember this because I once tried to hold a discussion next to a film that was um, on another exhibit and kept playing on a loop continually, and the discussion never really worked. Even though the object itself was fantastic, the space just wasn't good enough for the discussion. So the last one, success factor number 11, is about being happy, not being able to predict what the outcome will be. So there's a certain amount of going with the flow when designing and leading discussion-based programs. You cannot predict everything that will happen or where the discussion will take you. Sometimes you just have to go with it. And that's okay too. You could perhaps go to some exciting or unexpected places. And it's always good to sort of design with that space in mind. I also like the idea of making a note afterwards about what went well in your session, what you'd like to work on, and what was surprising too. And it's really good to write these down so that you can look back on them. So there you have it, 11 success factors for discussion-based programs. If you're just starting out with discussion-based programs, don't forget, take it one step at a time and imagine each step as a learning opportunity. Uh, practice regularly and set aside time for what you want to improve and keep practicing. Now, before I go, I just wanted to mention that starting next week, that's Monday, the 13th of September, 2021, I'm running a free challenge that will help you to design and lead engaging discussions around art and objects. Now, this challenge is for you if you're finding it difficult or are looking for new ways to engage your audience. Maybe you're wrestling with finding the right questions to ask, or maybe you're looking for more ways to connect with your audience and ensure that everyone feels visible, valued and understood. So on Monday through to Thursday next week, I'll be sharing four principles that are key for creating engagement and connection when you're designing and leading art discussions. And every day there'll be a short activity that will take you around 10 minutes to complete. Not only that, but on Thursday, that's the 16th of September, we're going to round off the challenge with a live, free, 40-minute art engagement class. We're going to bring it all together on Zoom at 5 o'clock. That's Amsterdam time, that's CET, on Thursday, the 16th of September. So this challenge is suitable for anyone designing experiences with audiences around art and objects. So you could be a museum or heritage educator, a guide, a docent, freelancer, creative, anyone working in the cultural sphere, art 
educators and teachers and more. Please do spread the word far and wide. I'll be sharing lots of free tips and advice over the four days. So don't forget, the Art of Engagement Challenge starts next week on Monday, September the 13th. And I'll put a link to sign up in the show notes. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe or follow The Art Engager and do give us a rating and a review. It all helps to get the word out there and for more people to find the show. And be sure to download your episodes too so that they will count in the audience numbers. It's really, really helpful. And do come and say hello to me on Instagram. You can find me hanging out there most days. Search for at Thinking Museum. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Baum. You can find more art engagement resources by visiting my website, thinkingmuseum.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, at Thinking Museum, where I regularly share tips and tools on how to bring art to life and engage your audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share with others and subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.